My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Trinity Sunday. It's like describing a food to somebody who's never had that food. What do you do? You, you tell them what it might be like. What, it's sort of like this. Trying to explain a burrito to somebody who's never had a burrito. Well, it's sort of like a taco, but it's in a soft shell, and there's more meat, and you're going to try, and you go all the way around it, but there's really no way to understand it unless you have a burrito. Or it reminds me of, that's what you're going to say, well, I had this, and it reminds me of this. Or when in doubt, it tastes like chicken. There you go. So we look for things that we find similar to what we're trying to describe because until you experience it, you really won't understand it. That's the key to Trinity Sunday. Until you experience it, you'll never understand it. So Jesus came to us from heaven and he wanted us to know what heaven was like. So he made, my goodness, 11 statements about what the kingdom of heaven was like because we would never understand it until we got there. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. And when the man found the treasure, he went and sold all he had and he bought the field where the treasure was and he had the treasure. Similarly, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. And when the man saw the girl, he, pearl of great price, he sold all he had and he bought the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, and it leavens the bread, and a little bit leavens the whole loaf. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and when it grows, it becomes the biggest of all trees, and the birds build their homes in it. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a sprouting seed, that when you plant, it grows and is harvested. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, not the old 50s TV show. (laughs) But that's how they used to fish. They would throw the big net and drag it behind the boat. And then the angels would count the fish. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven is like laborers in the field. And if you remember, the first were paid the same as those that were hired at the last hour. And that upsets most people. But Jesus could not really describe the kingdom of heaven because we have never been there. You'll never understand it until you experience it. Similarly, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul wants to describe love. And we've got the 13th chapter where he says love is, and then he gives you a list. Now, poor Vicky hears this list every time we go to a wedding because it's part of my traditional wedding sermon. And I, I tell the couples that every morning before your feet hit the floor, you've got to do a checkup from the neck up. And you're not allowed to do the checkup uh, from the neck up for the people, person you're marrying. It's for yourself. And you have to say, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am, am I being envious? Am I being boastful? 
right? These are the, Paul is trying to explain the love that God has for us. It was never intended to be a wedding scripture. It's a wonderful wedding scripture, but Paul is trying to r- remind us what the love of God is like. But again, you'll never understand it unless you experience it. So Paul says, love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking, not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. Have you ever seen a couple really go at it? They'll, they'll remind each other of all the mean and silly things they did all the way back before they got married. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then he finishes with this. Love never fails. But he never really gave us a definition of what love is. He told us, just like describing that dish that somebody else has never had, he went all the way around because he knows that until you experience the love of God, you'll never understand it. It just occurred to me that one of the best examples of this is gelato. You got to go to Italy or down to the Tropicana to get real gelato, the stuff that they make in Italy. And trying to describe it to somebody who's never had it, well, it's like ice cream, but it's not ice cream. It's more smooth and it's more silky and and they give it to you in this little cup with this little tiny spoon because you're supposed to savor it, right? And it's got all kinds of really cool flavors. And you're trying to explain this, but until you have real gelato, and real gelato is not what Rita's calls it, with a layer of water ice and a layer of ice, that is not real gelato. And you'll never understand it. Maybe we should take a church field trip. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a new store down in Atlantic City that makes real Italian gelato. There's also one right near your office. Um, oh, yes. Uh, Alice. They actually sent their guy to Italy to learn how to make it. So we, maybe we should get a bus and just go from gelato place to gelato place. And we'll find an opera singer who sang in Italy to lead the tour. And then you'll know what it's like, but you won't know what it's like until you actually hold the cup in your hand, get the cute little plastic spoon, and let that delicious uh, ambrosia of the gods melt on your mouth. That's where Jesus is trying to tell us something that we can't understand until we get there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you notice, the translators of the RSV did a really nice job because they didn't put any commas there. We breathe in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And we believe we're what they call monotheistic. We believe in one God. So this is where it gets interesting. Let me share a quick story with you. The late Cardinal Cushing once related that when he was a parish priest, he was called to a store right near the church to give last rites to a man who had collapsed. He knelt by the man and he said, do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? And the man roused a bit. He opened his eyes and he said, here I'm dying and you ask me a riddle? <laughs> well, that's, that's the problem. And so I have a list here and I hope you enjoy this. P- 
Pastors all over the world are going to be doing these, and you've probably seen them. One pastor is going to bring out an ice cube, and he's going to say that the Trinity is like water. There's steam, there's liquid, and there's ice, but they're all water. Some people are going to quote St. Patrick. I don't know if you know St. Patrick dialogued on the Trinity. And he said the Trinity was like a three-leaf clover. All one flower, but three equal leaves. Just thought you'd like to know. Some pastors, and I actually know one who did this and it wasn't me, are going to bring out a bowl of eggs. And they're going to tell the kids to take an egg and Go like this. Now, all the eggs are hard-boiled except for one. And, and Pastor Tim actually, right in front of the whole congregation, about 300 people, whacked himself in the head with the uncooked egg. I wish it was on video. But same idea. You've got the shell. You've got the white. You've got the yolk. All three of those are the egg. Pastors all over the country are going to be doing that. The same idea, you got the apple. You see where we're going here? You got the skin, you got the meat, you got the seeds. And the pastor might take his paring knife out and let all the kids eat a slice of apple while they talk about the Trinity. Do you hear what we're doing? We're describing what it might be like, just like Paul did with love, or Jesus did with the kingdom of heaven. Believe it or not, there's more. St. Augustine, it's like the sun. You can see the sun in the sky. The sunbeams come down and we feel the warmth on our face. So the actual sun is God the Father. The light is God, Jesus the Son because he said, I am the light of the world. And the warmth is the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, you say, really? All these ways? Yes. You wait. There's more. Uh, some theologians said, think of it like an equilateral triangle. You've got Jesus on the Holy Spirit on the bottom and God on the top, and the triangle doesn't work unless all three parts are there. Here's your odd fact for the day. Do you know it's bad luck to walk under a ladder? Do you know why it's bad luck to walk under a ladder? I learned this this week. In the old days when they had the gallows and the, the ladder had to go up to put the rope on the gallows, that makes a triangle. And they would make the prisoner who was going to be hung walk between the ladder and the gallows because it was bad luck to break through the Trinity. And that's where that whole idea of walking under a ladder comes from because the ladder and the gallows made a triangle and the prisoners had to walk through it before they got hung. And you're thinking, really? All these different ways and yes. And yet none of them really explain the mystery of the Trinity. Now, there are some churches where the pastor in his best pastoral authoritative tone is going to remind you that the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. It is a theological concept, the way we try to understand the mystery. Well, here's the problem. We watch TV. And for many of us, that is a problem. But here's the problem that most Americans have. 
You know what one of the most watched shows are? Are procedurals. Now, you may have not heard this term, but in the business, NCIS and Criminal Minds and FBI Most Wanted are called procedurals. Usually they start off with an interesting thing, uh, a frozen dead body floating in the swamp right outside of Washington, D.C., and then you see Gibbs say, grab your gear, we got a body. That's the problem. That's the mystery. And then what do they do? They gather facts throughout the hour TV show, which is really only 44 minutes. The other 16 is commercials, right? And sooner or later, right towards the end, Abby or the new girl whose name I don't remember or McGee will find something on the computer and all the lights go ding, 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 ding. And they solve the crime. Rarely do they not solve the crime. In one hour, they gather all the facts they need and they solve the crime. And we, as linear human beings, believe that if we gather all the facts about the Trinity, then we should understand it. And then we're back to what? It's a mystery. We won't understand it until we experience it. Well, here's the other problem. Some of us read mysteries. You got your J.D. Robb. You got your Agatha Christie. You got your Ellery Queen and your Sherlock Holmes. I'm an old school guy. I love Sherlock Holmes. What do they do? They gather all the clues and then they solve the crime. Heaven works differently. God has opened the box. We already know the end of the story. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you have a place in heaven. And I got good news for you. I don't care what the Trinity looks like. I'm going to heaven. Jesus is going to meet me at the front door and hopefully he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm going to say, well, I really can't come in until I understand the Trinity. No, I am running into heaven. Where's my mansion, my grand piano, and my refrigerator filled with Coke? He said he'd prepare a place for me. We've talked about that. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm going to play the piano. I'm going to drink real Coke, not the diet stuff. And I'm going to sing tenor one in the heavenly choir. That's, that's where I'm headed. I don't care. Now, we need to know that we believe in one God. And we need to know that he's described as three persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is heaven is open to each and every one of us. But it's still a mystery, and here's something we need to think about. Really think about. Why did God choose me? Why did Jesus willingly die for me? How does a perfect God love a sinner like me? Or better yet, how does Vicky love me? Why does Vicky love me? We'll check that later, too. Now... What would you say? Mercy. Mercy. There you go. A pastor wrote this short story, and it begins like this. She was your typical awkward adolescent. She was convinced that she was an ugly duckling, fat and plain, and surely never the kind of girl any boy would ever give the time of day to. But she went to the dance anyway, hoping against hope that one particular boy she had secretly had a crush on for months would pay attention to her and maybe ask her for a dance. 
She stood where all the ugly ducklings usually stood, off to the side, out of the way, almost hidden because she was too ashamed to be visible. Out in front, in the public, she was convinced everybody would make fun of her. But then she was stunned, absolutely stunned. Unexpectedly, surprisingly, miraculously, the very boy that she had so secretly dreamed about came to her. There was no ridicule, no laughter. There was no rejection to which an ugly duckling such as herself had grown accustomed. Instead, there was an invitation to dance. She, out of all the beautiful girls in that room, was asked to dance by this boy. Shocked, amazed, overwhelmed, thrilled, she couldn't believe what happened to her. And this was the only one question she wanted to ask. Why had he noticed her? Why did he want to dance with her? Why did he bother to pick her? And then she thought better of it. This was no time to ask a question or probe a mystery. No, this was simply the time to enjoy the dance. And enjoy the dance she did. Why did God bother to love us like this? Why the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons? Perhaps this is the time to leave questions like that unanswered. There's no time for explanation. This is the time to enjoy the dance. And we'll never understand it until we experience it. Amen.